Welcome. My name is Dr. Edward Taubman. I am a general internist in Olney, Maryland. I'm also a local expert in the field of cancer genetics. I am a graduate of the City of Hope, a program in cancer genetics funded by the National Cancer Institute. Uh, the purpose of that program is to bring the field of cancer genetics into the community. And that is, in part, the reason for doing these podcasts. So this will hopefully be the first of a series of podcasts, uh, predominantly about the genetics of cancer and how that uh, impacts our patients. But in addition, uh, we will also be doing podcasts on a variety of topics having to do with general internal medicine. Target audience for this podcast are patients who are interested in learning more about the genetic basis of cancer and whether a cancer that either they or a loved one may have may have had a genetic basis. So the first concept to understand, um, which is a relatively new concept in medicine, when I say new, probably over the last 10 to 15 years, is that cancer is really now thought of as a disease of our genes. Now, when I say that, I mean the following. Uh, if we had a very powerful microscope and could look into a patient's cancer and get down to the level of the DNA of the makeup of those cancers, we would find that many genes have been mutated. Uh, there have been a change in the genetic makeup of perhaps dozens or hundreds or even thousands of genes in the individual cancer cells. And the real question is, how did they get there? The short answer as to what causes the change in the DNA in cancerous cells to begin with is we really don't know. For most people with cancer, they were born with normal DNA sequence and the changes that we're speaking about have developed perhaps gradually and cumulatively over a period of time later in life. The causes for those changes may be environmental. It could be toxins in the environment, normal radiation in the environment, um, perhaps medications that people have taken or hormones. We really don't know, and it seems to be a fairly complicated process, which our brilliant researchers are slowly unraveling. Having said that, there is a small segment of the population in which we have discovered a different series of events. In those patients, they were actually born with a change in their DNA which they've harbored their entire life, really from the time they were conceived. And in patients who carry those changes in their DNA, which they've had from the beginning, that can in some cases be the cause of their cancer. So if we look at the bird's eye view presently with our knowledge, 2013, we would say that, as a general rule, 5% of cancers or thereabouts can be traced to a change in a single gene at a single place um, that we were born with. And that change, though it might be very small, it could be a change in a single base pair in the genetic code, a A to a T or G to a C, 
in the four-letter code in one place in a gene that might be 100,000 places long. Um, this could be the cause of the cancer in that person and in their family. 5%, not a large percentage of the cancers. 20% of cancers or thereabouts are likely due, or we think now are likely due, a combination of changes in different genes, more than one that we are born with, which together may modestly increase our risk. Uh, and again, most, perhaps three-quarters or more of cancers uh, do not have an obvious genetic predisposition, at least that we can tell right now. In the field, we call that sporadic. Now, in the 1990s, the field of cancer genetics got a real boost uh, due to the efforts of uh, a number of brilliant researchers uh, who, using the available tools at the time, were in a race to see if they could find a genetic cause for breast cancer in families that seemed to have a great excess of uh, breast cancer in those families. Um, they took DNA from families who had an excess of breast cancer, and they then compared them uh, that DNA to uh, families that did not have an excess of breast cancer. It was literally the proverb, looking for the proverbial needle in a haystack, a, ge a genetic haystack, we now think that we um, each have uh, over 20,000 pairs of genes. They were looking for one particular gene. They didn't, when they started, had know where that gene might be located. They narrowed it down to one of our um, chromosomes, uh, chromosome number 17. Uh, remember, we have 23 pairs of chromosomes. They narrowed the search down to chromosome 17, then to a section of chromosome 17 called 17Q21. 17 means it's the 17th chromosome. The Q means the larger half of the chromosome. And 21 was a, a band within there. They then had various candidate regions. They narrowed it down further and eventually came down to a small section, um, which was about 100,000 letters of the genetic code. I remember that's out of about 3 billion letters of the genetic code in each of our cells. Um, and that seemed to explain some of the breast cancers in these families because in that region, the families that have the higher incidence, the much higher incidence of breast cancer, had a difference in that long gene compared to the families that didn't. <clears throat> uh, they enthusiastically named this the breast cancer-causing gene. Uh, we now call that BRCA for short. Uh, <clears throat> however, unfortunately, uh, when they went back and analyzed their results, it did explain some families, but the vast majority not. So then the race was on for a second breast cancer causing gene. Eventually that was discovered. We now call that BRCA2 as opposed to BRCA1, the first discovered. And between the two of them, uh, they probably account 
for about 5% of uh, breast cancers in families. So the hope was that there would be discovery of a BRCA3 and a BRCA4 uh, that incrementally would expand our knowledge and help us target those families uh, who were predisposed to breast cancer. Unfortunately, it hasn't really worked out that way, and we're still left with BRCA1 and BRCA2 as the major known causes of hereditary breast cancer. Um, Within uh, the families who have these mutations in BRCA1 or 2, we find a 85% or thereabouts lifetime risk of breast cancer. Um, And in addition, uh, up to a 40% lifetime risk of ovarian cancer. Now, there have been other genes that have been linked to breast cancer. There is a long list. Uh, However, cumulatively, they do not have the impact of the BRCA1 and 2 genes. So how common are these BRCA genes? Well, it depends whether you are of a certain ethnicity or not. However, regardless of one's ethnicity, Abnormal BRCA genes um, have been passed down from generation to generation in all ethnicities. In the general population, we believe the incidence of a person carrying an abnormal BRCA gene to be about 1 in 400 to 1 in 1,000. So I like to tell my patients uh, here in the D.C. area that if they go down to the National Mall and look around and see 1,000 people, Uh, that one or two may carry an abnormal BRCA gene. If they go to the local synagogue where they are predominantly patients of Eastern European, so-called Ashkenazi um, descent, then the incidence is as high as 1 in 40. Now, uh, what else have we learned about the um, BRCA genes? Well, The BRCA2 gene in particular has been associated with male breast cancer, uh, which uh, is relatively infrequent in the population. Uh, It's still infrequent in males who carry the BRCA gene. It's just uh, less infrequent. Uh, Also, there's a small instance of pancreatic cancer associated with carriers of the second discovered or BRCA2 gene. So, what difference does it make? This uh, question, uh, I think, is often asked by patients uh, and um, by doctors as well. And in fact, uh, in one study where um, patients who were undergoing mammography were asked to fill out a questionnaire to see uh, if they were at high, relatively high risk of carrying an abnormal BRCA gene, Uh, They found that 11% of the families were uh, potential candidates for carrying an abnormal BRCA gene, um, but less than 3% of those people had been referred for cancer genetic counseling. That questionnaire would have been looking for known risk factors for a person carrying an abnormal BRCA gene, those being 
uh, breast cancer at a young age, typically considered less than age 50, uh, bilateral breast cancer, ovarian cancer at any age, uh, male breast cancer, pancreatic cancer, uh, and uh, Jewish descent. The main reason in my mind uh, is the risk of ovarian cancer. Um, the problem with ovarian cancer is that uh, there is really presently no good way to detect it. Uh, a woman, unlike um, a woman who can do a breast self-exam, uh, you can't do an ovarian self-exam. And honestly, physicians, when they do a GYN check, uh, normally cannot feel the ovaries or predict if there's something going on in the ovaries until something is more advanced. Um, for breast cancer, we have mammograms and high-risk patients, MRI scans of the breast. Uh, we don't have the equivalent for catching early ovarian cancer. Um, the sonogram uh, has been tried uh, repeatedly in clinical trials and never been found to be a way to catch early ovarian cancer. Unfortunately, uh, uh, for the few ovarian cancers that are detected by it, there are many false positives and has led to unnecessary surgeries and complications and essentially um, done uh, more harm than good. So it's not a good screening test. Uh, the CA-125 test, which is used to uh, follow patients who have ovarian cancer and can be a useful tool to one's oncologist in determining which chemotherapy to get and when, um, has also failed in, unfortunately, in trials of otherwise healthy people to see who might be developing early ovarian cancer. So the sad truth is that ovarian cancer, when it is discovered, um, is usually advanced. Uh, part of it is due to the difficulty in detecting it early, and part of it is that it can be a very aggressive, rapidly moving cancer uh, and literally not detectable by any means at one moment in time and then be significantly um, advanced uh, a short time thereafter. So the only real effective way to prevent ovarian cancer is to have one's ovaries removed. Um, and the question is, how do we know which women should have their ovaries removed before they get ovarian cancer um, so that they don't get it? And this is where BRCA testing uh, can be um, helpful. Uh, also, uh, it can, um, if there is a strong family history uh, or a, let's not even a strong family history, but a family history which suggests that there may be an abnormal BRCA gene and a mutation or abnormality is found uh, in that family, then other family members can use that to see who's at risk and who's not. Generally speaking, if one person in the family carries an abnormal BRCA gene, um, then 50% of their children, 50% of their siblings will carry the same. I think there are a lot of uh, misconceptions about uh, testing for the uh, BRCA gene. Uh, if uh, you ask women uh, why uh, they 
did not uh, want to be tested or did not think it was useful to be tested. I think the number one reason is my doctor didn't suggest it. And uh, uh, unfortunately, as a profession, um, not as many doctors are aware of the uh, genetics of BRCA and uh, to be able to screen who would be a good candidate for it. So uh, if your doctor didn't suggest it, it may not be an appropriate test, uh, but it might be. Uh, if there's a concern about excessive breast or ovarian cancer in your family, then um, you should bring it up and ask for a, a genetic consultation with a person who is a specialist in that area. Another common reason women don't go for uh, genetic counseling or testing is they heard that it's expensive and that their insurance won't cover it. And yes, the testing is expensive. Uh, part of that has to do with patent law and um, certain companies uh, having exclusive rights to do the testing. Uh, and there is a lot to it. But having said that, uh, most insurance companies will cover it. Uh, if there is at least a 5 to 10% chance that the test would be positive. Again, here's where a cancer genetics uh, specialist can be helpful in winding you through the um, um, insurance company rules and regulations. Uh, I've heard women say uh, that they don't want to be tested because they uh, heard that if they tested positive, they would lose their health insurance. This is not true. I've never uh, heard of such a case. Uh, you'd be no more likely to lose your health insurance um, due to a genetic predisposition to a cancer uh, than if you got a particular cancer. And insurance companies are not canceling people who've gotten breast or ovarian cancer, and they're uh, not canceling people who might. Um, because of concerns about this issue, um, there was a law passed a few years ago um, called GINA, or the Genetic Information Non-Discrimination Act, uh, which prohibits uh, discrimination on, uh, in getting health care based on um, one's uh, genetic test results. So uh, I think people can be reassured on that front. Uh, another misconception is that if a woman tested positive, that she would necessarily need to have her breast removed. That certainly is an option in a genetic predisposition, which might carry a percent lifetime risk of uh, developing breast cancer. It's, it is clearly an effective way to prevent breast cancer, but it's a personal decision uh, when you have that information as to whether you would want to do that. There are other strategies to keep one's breasts, um, including um, using the latest technology for early detection that uh, nowadays means MRI screening in addition to mammography. Uh, <clears throat> turns out that women who uh, have their ovaries removed prior to menopause, uh, that lowers their risk. Uh, turns out that certain uh, medications uh, such as uh, tamoxifen premenopausally or raloxifen, uh, otherwise known as Evista, postmenopausally 
can reduce, though not eliminate, the risk of breast cancer. So there are things we can do other than uh, removing one's breast, uh, and that really shouldn't be a detriment for a person to consider being tested. If a person, uh, a woman, was found to have a genetic mutation uh, predisposing to breast and ovarian cancer, one of these BRCA1 or 2 abnormalities, um, they could, um, they would have given an important tool for other people in the family, such as a sister or a daughter, to be so tested. And then those people could decide if they wanted to um, take advantage of modern technology uh, to help prevent or catch early these cancers, uh, as we have uh, spoken. So, uh, what happens if one goes uh, to a cancer genetic specialist? Well, really, um, they would sit down and uh, educate you, um, answer all your questions. Uh, they would obtain a detailed uh, family history to see what the probability is that um, a test might be helpful. Um, an important uh, point that comes out in cancer genetic counseling um, is on review of your family history. Uh, you may have uh, some breast or ovarian cancer perhaps in your family, but come from a very large family uh, and uh, not really have an excess of those cancers. Or, on the other hand, you may not believe yourself to be a particularly high risk for an abnormal BRCA1 or 2 gene because there hasn't been any ovarian cancer in your family or only perhaps one breast cancer in your family. But on um, looking at your pedigree, your counselor may notice that, wait a minute, uh, you come from a very small family and there are not very many women in that family. We call that a limited family history. Um, so uh, in those cases, you actually may be at higher risk for carrying an abnormal uh, BRCA gene because you don't have a large family history that we can use to uh, rule out uh, a abnormal BRCA1 or 2 gene. And finally, uh, it is not unusual for people with strong family histories to be tested and for the test to come back negative. What to do then is something that a professional trained in the field can help you decide what to do. If you do have a strong family history and our present technology is unable to come up with an answer, it's often appropriate for everybody in the family to be treated as if they harbor an abnormal BRCA gene. Uh, by way of example, the methodology of doing the BRCA testing has incrementally improved over the years. Uh, there is a new version of the test, new about four or five years now, uh, called BART or deletion testing, uh, which for women who uh, were tested uh, negative might give an answer that previously had eluded. Uh, of note, this testing um, now that it is available, it has not always been paid for by the insurance companies, but recently there has been a movement among, among most of the carriers uh, to pay for it. Unfortunately, um, people who've been tested in the past and did not have 
this new version of the test may not know about it. Their physicians might not necessarily know about it, and they may not know about it. So it is important uh, to keep in touch with somebody knowledgeable about the field as there are important changes with time. I hope that you have found this overview of cancer genetics, particularly for BRCA testing, uh, useful. If you have any questions or comments, uh, feel free to drop me a line at cancergenedoc at onlymedical.com. That's C-A-N-C-E-R-G-E-N-E-D-O-C at O-L-N-E-Y-M-E-D-I-C-A-L dot com. Catch you next time.